0: So if you want to be able to count on something, you want to be able to take something to the bank, say, what's, what's a, what can I count on? Well, you can count on when you come to Halifax Christian Church that Rob Tudball will have cookies waiting for you in the lobby. It's very rare, though, that it happens at 11 o'clock because he usually does this for the 9.30 service. You can count on the fact that when we go to one service that there will be at least three or four people who will show up at 9.30. It happened. You can count on the fact that if our lead pastor, Greg Nicholson, is up here speaking that he will talk about hockey or PEI or farming. You can take it to the bank. And you can count on the fact that if it's the last Sunday of the year leading into the new year, you're going to see me here. For those who don't know me, my name is Peter Boyer, I'm one of the elders here, I'm on staff here, and I think probably this is the 34th or 35th time that I have brought the the New Year's message, but we're going to do something a little bit different today. Yes, I've been around that long. Um, Normally what we do is this message is unconnected to the other messages, there's usually a series of messages for Christmas, and then... Greg will say, You're gonna do your thing? I'll say, sure, I'll do my thing. And my thing is to give some kind of an inspiring direction for us as as a congregation going into the new year. Well, I want to do that, but I didn't want to miss the opportunity to tag on the end of the series that we have been looking at for the last few weeks: Seasons, feelings. Because the message I want to bring actually ties the what I want to say with what has already been said. So if you've, if you've been here or if you haven't been here, the three messages we've heard so far in this series, uh, the first one was about the situation in Rome, the feelings that were going on in the city of Rome. The next one was the, the hopelessness that was happening in Jerusalem. And the third message was the busyness tying into what was going on in Bethlehem leading up to the birth. And it was all tied into our feelings. What I want to do today is I want to talk about the expectations here in Halifax, as we come out of the Christmas season. But I don't want you to come completely out of it. And some of you don't really come out of it until well into January. And some of you started it way too early, like in November. Um, we'll set that aside. There's a, there's a, a very famous Christmas, song, Christmas carol, Silver Bells. I want to see if you can finish this, this sentence. In the air, there's a feeling of Christmas. Christmas has a feeling I don't know if you've ever thought about it before, but Christmas has a feeling. Whether you are a complete atheist or not, whether you are a Christian or not, if you're in a part of the world that celebrates Christmas, there is a feeling. There's something in the air. You can't deny it. It's palpable. And I think it's there for a reason. Well, feelings are all about the heart. But there's a passage of Scripture, and I'm going to use this as kind of our our core base here for going forward. There's a passage of Scripture from the Sermon on the Mount that talks about feelings and about the heart. It's from Matthew 6, 21. Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, he has just finished talking about, you know, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy. Store for yourself up treasures in heaven where nothing can destroy that. And he concludes that little thought with this, this statement. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Sometimes we get that backwards. Sometimes we'll say, well, where my heart is, there my treasure is. Ah, wrong answer. No, it's where your treasure is. Your heart follows. Well, then if if it's really about treasure, if 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 your treasure dictates where your heart is, then I want to I speculate. I want to put the hypothesis forward that Christmas feelings really is about Christmas treasure. What is the Christmas treasure? Hang on, I'm gonna get to that a little bit later. Um, what I want to do start right now is just ask you what what do you treasure? What do you treasure? I want you to think for a second. What do you treasure? Don't share it with anybody else. The person beside you might not be mature enough to know what it is that you treasure. Let me show you something that I treasure. I want to show you some pictures from 1996. Now, um, a couple of weeks ago, in in Pastor Greg's message, he made reference to my family when we went to Florida and how we kind of uh, hacked the system and bypassed all the lines (laughs) because we had a couple of senior people in wheelchairs. It's true. It's totally true. And so since he had mentioned it, I thought, I'm going to capitalize on it. I'm going to show you a picture. So here's a picture of, of, uh, of us. And this was a big trip in 96 that the whole family um, took, the extended family. So my mom, Debbie's dad, my kids, my wife, um, we went to Florida. And we, we did everything in Florida. It was a, it was a fantastic trip. Next picture. So while we were there, of course, we did Disney. We, we were in Orlando, we did Disney World, and that was amazing. Here's another picture. I think the highlight for the whole family, especially for my daughter, was that she got to meet Minnie Mouse. That was absolutely, she was gobsmacked. It was, it was beyond imagination. We had no idea that she even knew who Minnie Mouse was. She was quite, quite young. Um, this was from, an, actually, actually, it might have been from, even from an earlier trip. Uh, we'd done one in 93. But th- the thing is, this picture captures the essence my daughter's 30 years old now, and you ask her, what's the highlight of Disney World? And it, it's this. this, this picture with Minnie. Next picture. We, uh, we also went to uh, Medieval Times. Uh, wonderful wonderful thing where you see people jousting and horse races and sword fighting, and, and they serve food with no utensils. You have to eat with your, your hands, and it's, it's quite barbaric, and it's a lot of fun. Next picture. There's a picture of us at the table waiting for, uh, and, and I, I swear, if you've never been to this, I'm not making this up, your drink is served by your serving wench. She just walks along, whatever you're drinking, she just starts pouring, and your glass better be at the front of the table. She just starts pouring as you walk along. Um, we had a wonderful surprise though. While we were there, we were joined by a couple of people who over here who look a lot younger in that picture. Uh, <laughs> they they joined us. Uh, next picture. We had a great time. Uh, we went to the other side of Florida. We went to Bush Gardens, and here's a picture. I think that's the last picture. This is a picture of uh, of me with a couple of my, my not a couple of my couple kids uh, on the Flume ride. <laughs> I treasured that time. That is a huge treasure for me. What do you treasure for for us, our family? We have treasured vacations. What do you treasure? Do you treasure your job? Do you treasure uh, a sport team? Do you treasure your investments? your TV shows, your smartphone, your number of likes on Facebook or Instagram? Um, What is it you treasure? And and if you don't know how to answer that question, there's a very simple way to, to measure that. It's measured by what you invest, how much of your time, how much of your energy, how much of your money you invest. Whatever you invest yourself in, that's your treasure. And if that's making you feel uncomfortable saying, well, that's Here's where I'm spending my time, my money, and and even my thoughts, but that's not really what I treasure. I would suggest that there's probably a conflict going on inside of you. But the big question is, what is it you treasure? Because what you treasure, there your heart will be also. Where is your heart? Well, it's where your treasure is. You might say, well, I want to give my heart to God. I want to give my heart to God. How do I do that? Probably for the last dozen years... I have spent most of my time as a discipler, pastor, elder, whatever you want to call me, coach, mentor, helping people to ultimately answer that question for themselves. How can I give my heart to God? They want to do it. You want to do it, but you don't know how. You don't know how. You say, I can't, I can't just train my heart. Actually, you can. It's just an indirect way of doing that. But first, before we get into some of that, let's look at some of the reasons why you would even want to. There's a great passage of scripture from 1 Peter. He says, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. He then goes on to say, because of that, always be prepared to give an answer to everybody who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have and to do that with gentleness and respect. But it begins by setting apart Christ in your heart as Lord. You're, it's about the heart. Um, Colossians, a number of us studied the book of Colossians earlier in the year. And this was an important passage uh, for us. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What does it mean to set our heart on Christ? To set Christ in our heart as Lord. To set our, our heart on things above. It also says set your mind on things above. What, what, is that, what does that even look like? I think it has to come back to the issue of the treasure. If we want to know how we do anything with our heart, it's... it's it's, it's this thing inside. How do we get at this? I, I, I just don't know how to get at it. Well, there's an indirect way of getting at that, and it is through what you declare to be your treasure. Let's look at Matthew chapter 13. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Treasure is measured by investment. The greater the value of the treasure the greater will be your investment. It's just the way we're wired. You could say, but I'm not necessarily proud, if I'm, as I'm thinking of it now, I'm not necessarily proud of how much I'm investing of my time and my, my energy and my money and my thinking. I'm not necessarily proud of where I'm investing that. Well, you just have to choose wisely. You can choose. Did you know that? Did you realize that you can choose? Moses chose, and I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 11. Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now, in Hebrews 11, Moses is, is like one of about 12 or 15 people who are mentioned by name as being heroes of the faith, lifted up for us as examples. And then we get into chapter, chapter 12, and we get some more instruction but in chapter 11, here are the heroes of the faith. And every one of them did the same thing that Moses did. They valued the things of God. They valued the things of righteousness. They valued relationship with God to be of greater value than the things that they could touch, they could hold. And in Moses' case, literally the treasures. I mean, I, I can almost see my mind like a treasure chest. Egypt was a very, very wealthy. Well, it was the, it was the ruler of the, that, that part of the world at the time, just incredibly wealthy. how do I choose where to direct my heart? Well, look at Moses. He chose to direct his heart towards what was coming. He looked ahead. Now, all kinds of, all kinds of things come to mind, and I want to kind of quote a slogan for you in a second, but I want to I I make a bit of clarification. I want to come back to that first picture that I showed you. What do you treasure? I thought... I really thought that our family, that I let's, let's not blame my family, let's me I really thought that I valued and treasured the family vacations, and because of all the things that we would do and see. And in 2002, I got a real smack upside the head. I was on a business trip. I was still working in the corporate world, and I was on a business trip down to uh, Orlando. And I had pretty much an entire day that was not being accounted for. So I thought, great, I'm going to go to Disney World. And I went by myself. I can't tell you a more depressing day that I've ever spent. I didn't make it to 1 o'clock and I had to leave. Why? It really wasn't that different from what it was six years earlier. What was different? They weren't there. That was the difference. I realized that I value those things as long as I'm with the ones that I love. As long as I'm with friends. As long as I'm with people. By themselves, these things have no inherent value. They are valueless. The things that we would declare to be treasures, things that we can hold in our hand and play with, things that you know, maybe you maybe you treasure or value the opinions of others. Isn't that what? being liked on Facebook and Instagram is all about, I want to know that the whole world goes, yeah, you're cool, you're doing good stuff. I like what you're doing. Thumbs up. Is that, is that sufficient? For me, without family, without friends, without people, there is no value, there's no treasure. It's the people who are to be treasured, not the smartphones, not the TV shows. doesn't mean you can't enjoy those things. It means where is the true deep value? So one of the models of, of our modern- day in society is uh, keep your eyes on the prize." But in chapter 12 of Hebrews, after he talks about the heroes of the faith, the writer of that letter, he says this phrase: "Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus." And he goes on to say, "Who is the author and perfecter of our faith? What do you value?" What do you treasure? Do you treasure God in your heart? Do you do what Moses did, who looked ahead to the reward that was coming and said, that is of greater value? What's the prize? What's the goal? What's the treasure? Some would say, well, heaven, of course. And I have to admit, there were quite a few years as a young Christian, I thought the goal was heaven. I thought the treasure was heaven. I thought the prize was heaven. And I was so completely wrong. Because heaven by itself has no inherent value. Going to heaven would be like me going to Disney World. The whole value is who is there with me, the whole value is in the relationships. God, Jesus, is the goal, He's the prize, He's the reward he's the treasure, not the place where he lives. Okay, let's go back to the beginning when I talked about the Christmas feeling. If there's a Christmas feeling, that means that there's a Christmas treasure because where our treasure is, our heart is also, and the heart is all about feelings. Do you know what the Christmas treasure is? And I want you to think for a second. I want you to ponder this. What is the Christmas treasure? What is the Christmas treasure? It's not God. It's not Jesus. Because the true Christmas treasure is what he treasures. It's his Christmas feeling. The true Christmas treasure is you. It's me. It's them. It's us. Because, you see, if you go back to that very first Christmas, whenever it was... People say that we know exactly the, 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 the day and the year. We don't. <laughs> we, we, we don't know the exact day. Is it December 25th? Well, there's a 1 in 365 chance of that being right. 1 in 366, sorry. Do we even know the year? You know, we're not even that sure of the year. But whenever it was, whenever, a couple thousand years ago, whenever that first Christmas was, here was the treasure. It was God looking at us and saying, I can't take their pain anymore. Now, he had planned all of this, but that was the time. When he chose to leave perfect heaven, and came down to a filthy, broken world for us, so that he could bring peace on earth. And in just a second, I want to teach you how you can have the kind of peace that those angels sang about when they came at that first Christmas. You and I... We are the Christmas treasure. Now, as disciples, we have to follow his lead. And if he treasures us, then we are to treasure each other. But it first begins with us treasuring him. Because you say, well, that's just reciprocal. Mm -hmm. And we do love him because he first loved us. And we have value because he loves us. We are the Christmas treasure. When he looks at us, he gets that Christmas feeling. Because for him, every moment when we are looking to him is a reminder of the choice that he made for us. The Christmas feeling, the Christmas treasure is God's. And it's now about how we respond to that. My desire for you in 2019 is that that Christmas feeling that is a gift from God to us so that we can experience what He experiences all the time. My wish for you is that you have that every day of the year. Now, I could spend literally every Sunday for the next year teaching you the mechanics of this. This is what I do on the side, one-on-one, sometimes with groups. I don't have that amount of time right now. I'm looking at the clock. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you the beginning of it. It's just the beginning. It's the place to start. In the seat pocket in front of you, there's a piece of paper that looks like this. I am going to give you a prescription. So everyone find that little piece of paper. It'll be in the seat pocket in front of you. And if you don't have them, put your hand up and some more can be handed around. This is a prescription, the big Rx. Why am I doing this? It's not just a clever idea. The very first pastor that I ever had, he was, he was pastoring me one day, and he knew that there was something wrong on my heart. So he grabbed a little, a little notepad off of his desk. He just tore the piece of paper off. He wrote this little Rx, looked like a doctor's prescription, and he wrote Psalm 37.4. And he gave it to me. That was over 40 years ago. That saved me. Because it told me that if I want to train my heart, I have to first declare what my treasure is. What is it that I value? What is it that I declare to be treasure? What is it that I take delight in? I love going on vacations with my family, with friends. I love watching TV shows with my wife sitting beside me. I love coming here to worship each Sunday with you. But none of those things have any meaning if God is not at the center of it. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. One of my well, I won't won't even call it a mentoring or a discipling session. It was a conversation I was having with with Margaret um, not not that long ago, sometime this last year. And I think it may have started off as me discipling her, but by the end, she was discipling me. I don't know if she ever realized it or not. We were talking about this passage, and I asked her, what does she think this means? And I honestly thought that I was the only one that knew this. And when she told me what her interpretation of this was, I realized that she, she saw this long before I ever saw it. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It doesn't mean that if you take pleasure in him, then all the things that you want are gonna come true. Well, it could mean that, but pretty much everything else in scripture would just scream against that interpretation. What it really means is if you delight yourself in him, if you declare him to be the treasure, he's gonna give you new desires, He will give you the desires of your heart. He'll take away the ones that are there and He will put ones there that make sense. The ones that will actually lead to peace. Maybe not on all the earth, but inside of you. Now, if it's too small for you to read on here, I've got a a laundry list of things up here. Prescription. It will help immensely with loneliness, heartache, anxiety, bitterness, unmet expectations. That's huge unfulfilled wants, unbridled lust, unrelenting negative thoughts, and will help with an overall tendency towards self-limiting behavior, self-defeat, and self-destruction. Man, there's so much to talk about. But this is the place to start. If you are someone who suffers from any of those things, if you just suffer from an, a, a self-image problem, you're lacking confidence, you just have this, I don't know, you just don't know what's wrong, something's not right on the inside, and you're, at, you're, you're not at ease, There's just a sense of anxiety. Something is wrong. It was never meant for you to be that way. God never wanted for you to live that way. And he came 2,000 years ago to remove that. But you have to accept what he's offering. If you are somebody here who has never, ever accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to invite you to come and speak to me after our time of worship. If you are someone who has already declared him to be Lord, but you're not fully living the abundant life. You've not fully appropriated all of the blessings. And maybe that laundry list that I just put up there describes you more than you care. It doesn't have to be that way. God's Christmas feeling can be your feeling. It's the sense that there's a oneness with Him and that everything else just doesn't matter.